and talking to our friends. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Hellboy Book Club. My name is John Salinas, and I'm here with... Aubrey Loveless. And I'm Danielle. And I'm Matt Trackbine. Hey, it's Matt Trackbine. Hey, episode 50, guys. What? Wow. Yeah, that's crazy. We got wow. 50 episodes. Episode 50. Episode... Yeah, hold on. Let me... Um... 50 episodes, John. It's actually episode 52. Oh. Because we had like that weird intro episode when I just needed... To put something out there, oh, and sure. then right, uh, right. and then we also had that outtakes episode, which didn't count as as a real book so you're, club episode. You don't, those aren't canon for you. Well, there I didn't number them. I didn't number you're, them. You, you're in saying the you've number. got the pilot and the outtakes real, <laughs> and those are not canon. Well, they're like like the special features. Of there the you special, go. Features. special features. Okay, yeah. so they're not episodes to you. That's interesting. <laughs> I mean, I could go with that. You're counting this as the fiftieth episode. If you want to be technical about it, it's our 50th book club episode book where club. we're actually reading the comics okay. and talking about the comics. And so those are the episodes that are numbered. All right. I like that. Thanks for joining us for our 50th episode, Matt. Yeah, thank you. That's a real honor. <laughs> it is. I, I love doing these. Oh, thank you so much. And I, I love that little um, marionette thing you did. Yeah, so I was going to talk about that. <laughs> oh, yeah, right on. I'm glad you guys like it. It was so cute. Oh, yeah, that was awesome. I lost thank it you. when I saw that. Yeah, the little sweet. puppet theater Matt did a, a piece for us where we're all the little marionettes in the Hellboy Book Club puppet theater. And yeah, that was really great. I shared it on all the socials. So thanks so much, Matt. I really enjoyed that. Good, good. And so as always, check out our pals at Mignolaverse.com. Our friend Danny LaPlante. Check out the Mike Mignola's art on Facebook. You can order official signed prints at artofmikemignola.com. You can buy sketchbooks and prints from the artists Duncan Fagredo and Lawrence Campbell, who we're going to be talking about this week. Check out the Mignolaverse subreddit and the Discord, all of our social medias, and take place in the discussion. All you have to do is leave a comment and you're part of the show. Like I say every week, give us some reviews on the show. If you've really been enjoying it, you can give us a review. Or if you haven't been enjoying it, you can send us some hate mail or something like that. We haven't got any of those lately. Or at all. No, we ever. I got a little bit of hate when I, I talked about it a little bit when I um made all those comments about the Hellboy movie. Remember when I was like, oh yeah, talking shit really? about quote unquote Hellboy fans or oh we, we yeah. talked about we yeah. talked about that. Well, anyway. I mean, but that was that was you personally, not the yeah, show, right? Well, I, I, mean, I no posted offense. it under That's the show. Been, you're, they're <laughs> hating on you for hating on haters, and it's not yeah. bad to hate on haters. You can always do that. Well, anyway, whether you want to send us a piece of feedback or a hate letter, you can do that as well. Also, tell a friend about the show. That's probably the best thing that you can do. If you have comic-minded friends who have wanted to get into Hellboy, you can pass along our podcast, and they can jump on board. And I also wanted to give a disclaimer about the next few weeks. So we're going to be going out of town for that reason, we might be banking some episodes, so we might not be totally up to date on the listener feedback for every episode, but rest we'll assured, we'll, we'll, do we'll a, get to everything. Yeah. yeah, We'll do an extra long, extra long book club member list. Yeah, we y'all. sure will. Maybe we should do like an episode where we just do listener just feedback, that, yeah. and then we read The Beast of Arga. Oh, that would be cool. <laughs> yeah, That's a good that. idea. <laughs> Oops, all feedback. Yeah. <laughs> some things I forgot to talk about last week. Asteros. So, d- did I talk about this? I made a note about it for the show last week, and then I don't remember ever mentioning it. When Hellboy kills Satan, Astaroth had predicted that in the Wild Hunt. Oh yeah, no, I don't know if you did mention that. I so, don't recall oh, that. one of the times when Astaroth was bothering Hellboy, it was when King Vold appeared, 
Hellboy said, some say it's the devil, and Astaroth said, Satan, no, he sleeps for almost 2,000 years under the pit of his great city, Pandemonium. One day you'll go there, you'll go down into that hold, and you'll find him, and kill him while he sleeps. And then you'll go up and claim that crown that waits for you there. We even got an image of that little demon guy when he was saying that. Yeah. yeah, so I thought that was that was right before Hellboy started fighting himself when he saw the Beast of Apocalypse version and the mirror and all that kind of stuff. Right, right. And so um, I like that little callback that, you know, Astral did say that all this was going to come to pass. I wow, do, nice catch. I do remember you and I talking about that uh, bef- like a couple of days before we recorded, so maybe that's what happened. Yeah, I think maybe I mentioned it to you and then I forgot yeah. to mention it on the show. Because I actually was going to mention it to you as well because I remember, I couldn't remember what story it was from, but... Yeah, I remember him. Somebody saying that that's what he was going to happen to say. Right. This displays my extreme ignorance of the writing process, but I wonder if writers will do that. Like they'll just throw something out there, and then later down the line, they're like, "Oh God, I have to write about this." Wait, let me look back at this and see what I said. Oh yeah. So I can fit that in there somehow and make it. Oh, and build a whole story off of it. Or if they're like, no, nah, I have this whole thing planned out 10 years in advance. And I'm right. going to, you know what I mean? Like, or if it's some people do one thing and some people do another. I think or, it's probably a little bit from column bit A, both, yeah. a little bit from column B. Yeah. Sure. It's like how you hear some people say they, they know how it's going to end. They just don't know how it's going to get there. Sure. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Right. They, they've got the bones of it and they fill it out later. Yeah. Another thing that I noticed when I was doing my post, when Leviathan comes up to get Astaroth and the two brothers. Great page. Um, the staff, it flies away. Oh. It, you know, it, it was like a snake. Yeah. Oh, right, right. And, yeah. it, and it, like, gets out of there. <laughs> like, right before. So Leviathan didn't get the That's staff. Great. And also, when we were talking about all the jellyfish stuff in the abyss that had been referenced in Goodbye, Mr. Todd and the transformation of J.H. O'Donnell, we also saw them in Conquer Worm. That's what they were, they were communicating with the with the abyss and that's how they knew to send omin up there to get the bring the conqueror worm back and they showed oh. the jellyfish things like in this spacey thing so all the way back to conquer worm they've had this idea and now we're going to move on to some listener feedback and so for this week's episode and next week's episode i'm actually splitting up the listener feedback between the two episodes so if you don't hear your feedback on this episode then it's probably on the next one Thank you guys again for bearing with us as we're out of town. Really appreciate it. Hey, you damn guys. Reading Hellboy comics and talking to our friends. We got a Hey, You Damn Guys from Drew Campbell. Hey, Drew Campbell. Hey, Drew Campbell. Book club member. He said, welcome to hell. So glad you could make it. Honestly, I don't think it's any exaggeration to say that Hellboy in Hell ranks as one of the best comics of all time. Like Matt said, it's 100% pure artistic vision. It's Mike Mignola doing comics in a way that literally no one else can. You guys mentioned the faces on the bellies of the statues. That's actually an old medieval tradition of depicting the devil or demons. Oh, cool. The devil was often depicted with an extra face or faces on his belly, crotch, ass, or sometimes with faces all over. I'm not sure of the origin of that, but I've read it may have something to do with representing base hungers or desires. I like Matt's theory about the guides representing the three rivers, 
and Lethe representing forgetfulness is a perfect explanation for why Hellboy doesn't remember going down to kill Satan. Okay. Also, according to Greek myth, the dead were required to drink from Lethe to forget their earthly life. Oh, wow. So to me, the water pump labeled Lethe indicates that the oh. denizens of hell drink the water of Lethe to forget their lives, or at least certain parts of their lives, since we see later that they do remember who they were in life. Cool. Coincidentally, a couple hours before I listened to the last half of this episode, I read Hellboy and the BPRD, The Beast of Vargu. And I don't think this is a huge spoiler, but he said they say Pluto, Persephone, fire in the bottomless pit, which Astaroth uh-huh. used as a curse in Hellboy in Hell. Oh, so wow. I, so he said, um, I wonder if this invocation has something specifically to do with Astaroth. I like the idea of demons using their own personal invocations as expletives. <laughs> The connection between Edward Gray's backstory and the events of Abyss of Time is really interesting when you take into the account that Hellboy and Hell Number 4 came out the month after Abyss of Time 2. Just another example of the incredible skills of the writers and editors. Yeah, so I didn't realize that, but they really had to coordinate that. Well, that stuff about Lethe was really good. It just makes me think of how in, what was it, in the uh, sketchbook section where, where he says they aren't really anybody? those three spirits right wouldn't it be awesome to have an interview and i think you could do this with mignola just saying okay i'm gonna challenge you on every single thing that i think you're (laughs) forgetting or lying about for some weird reason right starting with those three spirits right (laughs) i mean it's just it's too perfect not to be planned it, it really is, and yeah. I, and I think also we, we're we're going to get to some comments later that I think um, we can talk more about that idea. Okay. Drew Campbell also said Matt's interpretation of screw on head novels as being dime novels based on real character or, or urban legends reminds me of the relationship of the real lobster character and the in world pulp fiction about him, which was highly embellished and sort of created urban legends about the character. Now I want to see a Mexican luchador version of Screw on Head. <laughs> oh, shit. That would be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and then I thought this was really interesting. So, Matt, when you and I were talking last week about Hellboy and Hell, you were like, oh, I have this thought about Devil You Know. And then I was like, well, later text me about that. And then so oh, yeah. you did. And then in Drew's letter, he was like, I also have a spoilery bit that you probably can't talk about on the show. And it was the exact same thing that you were thinking. Ah, so I thought nice. that was really okay, interesting. Good. Yeah. So the, you, cool. y'all were having the same thoughts at the same time. So I thought that was Great. awesome. He said, okay, this email's long enough. Catch you next time. Your friend, Drew Campbell, book club member number 327. <laughs> Put like a number at the end. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I really want to get to the end so I can know what you guys are talking about. (laughs) But no spoilers. Yeah, really. And that's another thing. I mean, I mentioned it on a previous episode, but everyone's so good about not spoiling what's gonna what's gonna come ahead, which is really nice. If if this were my own podcast, I would be talking about all kinds of stuff. Oh yeah. Context, (laughs) way ahead. I don't I wouldn't care at all. Well, I think but I what, love I think what we're what we're it's all in the spirit of we're all kind of going on the same journey together, right? right? So yeah, even right. if people have read it four or five times, there might be some people who have down the road never read it and been like, "Oh, what's this about?" and then they go through right. the journey with right. with the book with the book club members yeah, and they're sure. all kind of doing it together. So it's sort of it's, one of those it's, things. It's uh it's very noble. And I think that you're right. I love the way everyone kind of is on board. Yeah. Right it's been really no nice. Spoilers. And this segues perfectly into the next letter. I love when stuff like that happens. 
from Jose Oliveros. He said, regarding the Pickens County horror and reading BPRD Vampire and Land of the Dead, it got me thinking about the statues of vampires in the present-day Mignolaverse. I haven't read Hellboy in Hell and BPRD Devil You Know, and I'm wondering, is there some sort of payoff about the vampires in Simon Anders? Do all the vampires become this mist-like fungal abomination that Cole and the rest of the vampire family in the hiding become? And if the vampires are destined for this, what will happen to Anders in his quest? Anyway, never mind all my ramblings. It just makes me so excited to finally finish the final arcs of Hellboy and BPRD, which I haven't read yet. And so, you know, obviously I can't answer any of that, but right. um, I just like that we're speculating on these things. You know what I mean? And that kind of goes along with just what you all were talking about of like, everyone's kind of along for it too, you yeah. know? Well, that actually mm-hmm. does bring up an interesting speculation because I hadn't thought about that too much, but I would say that the vampires, the Cole family... Right. Uh, in their whole misty adventure. I would feel like it was, it's probably just localized to them. Yeah, that's what I was thinking because they buried those vampires where all that stuff was growing. And I think yeah. there was like a side effect. Because at the end of that yeah. uh, that story, we saw that they were actually overtaken by all that fungus yeah. too. So, you know. But it, it also makes me wonder if there are other vampire plots out there that have been infected by in a different way. Oh, yeah. like That's interesting. That's kind of neat. <laughs> like it's it's like they're morphing into a new race of monster. Yeah, for real. <laughs> Bennett Reynolds on Twitter said, "Still catching up on Hellboy Book Club, and I listened to the Long Death and Pickens County Horror episodes back to back. The Long Death is probably my favorite BPRD story, just for Heron's art. Can't help but think this go round that Johan is the perfect guy for this story." And he also said, just because I haven't seen anyone else saying it and it's driving me crazy, it cannot be a coincidence that the BPRD barbarian, Agent Howard, shares a name with the creator of Conan the Barbarian, Robert E. Howard. Oh, and did we talk, did we talk about I that? that? I thought somebody mentioned that earlier. I mean, I know that. Right, yeah. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't know if we said that. I think I've talked about it with you. Right. But now I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I don't know if we've mentioned it on I'm the so show. I'm so awful with people's names. I'd never noticed things like that yeah. until people pointed out to me. That's official. I mean, it, he is officially named after him. Oh, yeah. And I think that we can attach that barbarian moniker, especially after this episode. Ryan Yule, he had to share his Mega Construct Hellboy. We talked about those little Lego guys. And he had the Lego Falling Water set, so he put the Hellboy on it and... <laughs> <laughs> we, were, we were laughing on Facebook, and it's it's kind of funny too because Hellboy is so much bigger yeah, than yeah. the building. He's it like just giant, looks great, though. <laughs> but it was really it was That's really cute. so. He posted that on our Facebook page. I should repost that. Yeah, about that post. Like I I answered something, and then he and then he answered my answer, and then I went to go answer his answer or I guess reply. Uh huh. Why well, I had to make it sound so dumb? That's a thread. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of hitting like send, I somehow deleted. Aww. the comment his his response to my first post so i messaged him on on the facebook just said i was sorry but once again ryan i am sorry i'm just a dumbass yeah and it was the day that my friend came over and we were drinking beers this all <laughs> sounds like another private message so go ahead and just i'm just saying it. you've got a friend though that's you're officially that's a friendship that's the threshold when you get into the dms right (laughs) yeah when i posted the teaser for hellboy in hell who's olivero said awesome just a few more episodes for me to catch up with and more importantly i'll be reading this arc for the first time 
Yeah, um, so he read it along with us for the first time. And so, but I, I hope if anyone is reading along with us for the first time, they read it first and then listen to the episode sure, at right. least, you know, or if you're going to follow along with the you with the actual along, book, yeah. you can listen along. But I would like people to get their impressions first, sure, right. you know, because I think then you see other things in it that are well, outside the scope. Well, that's a book club. I mean, I know the, that yeah. we do, uh, Book clubs used to be like a thing. Yeah, yeah. Right. And I think so they this still is are, we're yeah. just doing that. We're just but we're doing that with the aid of the internet. So it's kind of on a broader scale. So I think that that was always the goal. Right. Was that yeah. you know, you you go you go, you read a story and then you you go, <laughs> You read the story and then we read it and then we took gonna talk about it and you listen to that and then you Tell us what you think about that. Say, hey, damn guys. And then we're going to tell you what to read next time. Back to you, John. Uh, great, great. <laughs> and in that same... <laughs> and in that same... <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> in that same thread, Ryan Yule shared his collection of original pages from the series. Oh, and he posted wow. like six different pages really? from these first what? four issues. I have to go look yeah. at that. And wow. he actually has... One of them was the cover to issue three. He's got oh. an incredible collection of original art from Mignola. It's nuts. So yeah, Ryan Yule, thank you for sharing that. That's cool. Wes Mattis said, so excited to read this with you guys. I haven't popped back in these pages in a couple years. Rereading this with you guys in my ear is going to be great. Going back with you guys and reading these past issues while listening has made me enjoy these issues so much more, and I didn't think that was possible. So ready for Hellboy in Hell. And Ryan Yule had a similar comment. He said, normally I listen to the podcast on my work commute, but for this episode I listened to it on a plane and I had my tablet with the omnibus on it, so I was able to follow along with the issues. What a difference it makes. I need to set aside time to always do it this way going forward. Yeah, I thought that was really nice. Friendship. Friendship is awesome. MS Collector 11 on Instagram said, Hellboy in Hell is one of those stories where if you read it once, it's a bit confusing, and some even hate it. I felt very very dissatisfied after my first time, but over the years and 10-plus readings since... I actually find it to be not just a great send-off to a flagship character, but one of the best stories Mignola wrote. Just amazing. The callbacks, the feel, and the depth of each scene. And of course, Mignola's signature style. If you've only read it once or twice, please don't complain until after reading it five times. (laughs) The fan base thanks you. Yeah, I thought that was a great comment. That reminds me of something, and I'm going to maybe go on kind of a rambly thing, so feel free to cut it out. Sorry. We were talking about music, and, and I was frustrated because i not like in a serious way but i had let my friend listen to something and been really excited about it thinking they were gonna really like it and be like oh i don't get it and so i was like oh i don't i don't understand how this seems like it would be they would really appreciate it and so you told me something that you had heard uh someone say in an interview this is band that we really like that you actually let me listen to you turn me on to this this band band, deer hoof yeah i think we've talked about them before i (laughs) love deer hoof so much and it's because you were like oh you gotta hear this band deer hoof and i got obsessed and you were like, oh, Greg, was it Greg Sonia? Mm-hmm. He was saying some people's ears aren't big enough at that time, but you slowly, they, their ears stretch out over time. The more they hear, the more they listen to. So maybe at first yeah. you let your friend listen to this and they're like, oh, that's weird. I don't like it. But it's in there and it stretched their ears a little bit. And maybe they, their ears weren't big enough at the time to hear it. But later down the road, maybe 10 years later, they'll pick that band back up and be like, oh, this is brilliant. This is amazing. Why didn't I like it back then? Their ears weren't big enough. They're, right. you know, they, they stretch out their point of view. They stretch out their worldview. They kind of, you know, you got to stretch those muscles. And, yeah. uh, you know, maybe I think that's kind of what you were trying to say about Hellboy, maybe? 
Because that seems similar, like a similar... I, I think so, and I think it's kind of like that same idea that yeah. it definitely puts the traditional comic book reading experience in a different yeah. headspace, kind of, and you kind of have to adjust to it, kind of like if you're watching... I always compare it to David Lynch in a weird way, yeah. right? Like if you're watching something from David Lynch, you have to kind of accept that some things are kind of just out there, and they might come back, and sometimes they don't. Yeah. And, you know, you kind of have to be patient and... And it, and we talked about this last week, too. It doesn't hit you over the head with anything. You have to figure it out for yourself. It does take... Well, and over time, you're able to relate to it more yeah. because you've had more experiences and you've been able to process oh, yeah. things a little yeah, bit more. Definitely. And your processing ability is stronger and you just have grown as a person. And so all these things come together, like art. Like They're talking about like abstract art, Picasso and, and, and whoever. And someone's like, ah, it's just a bunch of blobs. My three-year-old could do that. And I just remember thinking, yeah, what? Oh, what? Like, <laughs> okay. But that's not, I can't blame that. I can't be like, oh, you're a fucking idiot. I can't say that because it's right. like their eyes, their heart, their brain, they're, it's not big enough yet. It's not stretched out enough. You know, you have to be gentle with these people and be like, well, what do you think about this? And kind of find a segue, a bridge artist that maybe right. they'd appreciate more and be like, Talk about composition. Talk about well. Have you heard about the the? Sure. Have you heard about the idea behind composition? What that mean? And you think about his the time that he was alive and what he was doing with his art and where he lived and all this the politics and you know you have to kind of stretch yourself a little bit and so I remember there's all kinds of music that I was just like that's weird and now whatever 10, 15 years later I'm like oh I was such a freaking idiot this yeah. music is incredible so. I agree that sometimes reading something for the first time, or maybe it's just crap. Who knows? But, sure. <laughs> you know, and everyone's entitled to their opinion, et cetera, et cetera. That's my little asterisk for this this O'Donnell rant. But, well, yeah, let's, so. uh, maybe we should play more Neil Diamond at this Just to add on to that, Danielle, um, you know, it's kind of like this uh, time I had this friend who kept begging, you know, not begging, he kept telling me, oh, man, you need to read this comic. It's like my favorite comic. You need to read it. You need to read it. You need to read it. And then finally, he starts a podcast, and here we are reading the comic (laughs) 50 episodes later. (laughs) Because <laughs> honestly, I don't think I could appreciate it, Hellboy, uh, back in the day. Uh, I mean, I could appreciate it, but I was like, my it was in a different mindset, sure. right? When no. it comes to like art and music and just where I was in life, and then you know. But now, I mean, well, we have a whole group clicks. of friends behind, you know, that are yeah. all listening yeah. to this with us it's and great. reading this with us, that are all chiming in and adding their yeah. their two cents and saying, "Oh, this to me, this means this." And yeah. I really hit me hard because of this, and so it's. Yeah, you are yeah. able to appreciate it more because you it's the combined power of all the hearts and minds of all these other people. Yeah. So it's that's why I like the the book club. Yeah. For sure. And then um the other day I was listening to the podcast and I was doing yard work and Kathy comes out and she's going to say something to me but she just sees me laughing and then walks off and she tells <laughs> me about it later. <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, that was the part we were talking about Neil Diamond." <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was great. Stretching those ears. Yeah. Sure. Yes. Stretching those eyes, right? Stretching your eyeballs, too. Right. (laughs) Jerry Turnbull said, The stairs Hellboy goes down towards Satan are based upon the famous stairs in Wells Cathedral in England. Oh. Some of the new Hellboy film was filmed there, too. Oh, wow. I didn't... Did he he post a picture of it, too? I think so, yeah. I think he did post a picture. Cool. He also said... 
the from hell letter during the jack the ripper murders which was sent along with part of a human kidney was addressed to george oh, lusk disgusting. yeah and that was yeah. the name of one of hellboy's oh, right. brothers Huh. He also said, I wondered if the three people we see at the end of Hellboy in Hell are in fact the spirit guides from issue two. They are there at the end to check Hellboy has gotten to where he should be, and satisfied, they fly off through the window in their soul forms. And so I didn't even make that connection. I just saw, oh, there's these birds flying off, but it's three birds. They show those three oh. dead bodies, and then they show three birds flying out the window. Okay. Yeah, so I like that connection. That's interesting. Yeah, and... I mean, come on. Those were just throwaway characters. They could be anybody. Right, yeah. I am not buying it. (laughs) (laughs) And he also said, I've said this elsewhere and I'll repeat it here. When we talk about modern classics like Watchmen, The Dark Knight Returns, Miles, etc., Hellboy and Hell should definitely be included in that category. The names of Mignola and Stewart are a team like Byrne and Austin, Kirby and Sinat, Swan and Anderson, Colin and Palmer. Sometimes after reading a sequence from Hellboy in Hell, you need to take a few moments to compose yourself. Not many comics are as beautiful and breathtaking as these are. Jerry Turnbull, book club member. You got it. Well, it's, it's funny. I was just thinking that about like you know Alan Moore and Mike Mignola together. Yeah. I don't know why. And I was just like, in my head, I'm like, I think I'm enjoying Mignola. I'm like, right. I'm enjoying more. <laughs> and don't get me wrong, I love Alan Moore, but you know. Right. I just like how fucking yeah. weird he is i love oh, yeah. i love just the wizard shaman he's leaned all the way into it and i oh, yeah. approve of this i applaud him and now we're going to go to our book club episode for the week this week we're talking about bprd hell on earth wasteland this is a three issue miniseries published in 2013 with covers by dave johnson written by mignola and arcudi and art by Lawrence Campbell. So this is our first story where we have Lawrence Campbell on. I really enjoy his work. Colors by Dave Stewart and letters by Clem Robbins. I loved this art. This oh, art was yeah. fucking amazing. We open up on Agent Nichols. He sits in front of a fire and he's looking at some pills in his hand. We learn from the thought boxes that he can't sleep and he contemplates taking the pills to knock him out. But with Nowhere Man on watch... We'll be okay, he thinks. And so he's referring to Johan as Nowhere Man, right? But it's clear that he trusts him here because then he does go to sleep. Yeah, yeah. So that's, that's, we open up on that. And so we already have this huge tone shift. We've got to talk about this, right, with the where art are style. We? But where are we with, with Johan personally, each of us? Because do you trust him? Like, what's going on with that guy? I kind of feel After like... the long death? After yeah. all the things. Right. He's repeatedly he... been proving himself as someone who's kind of iffy oh right and then then there was return of the master i i think he's taken a major step back you know i think i said this at one point during a podcast that it's one thing to deal with the meaning of life but if you're still dealing with that after you die right that's gonna be like really messy i don't and know where his, he's at his attempts to become more human have backfired and i think he's dealing with the fact that at least everyone around him realizes he is nowhere near human yeah. he's kind of all over yeah. the map not even me. philosophically. Well, I feel like since he, I guess, settled his um, issues with Daimyo, right. if you can call it that, he seems to be all like a lot more focused on the job now. He seems to be like, well, shit, you know, there's no more Daimyo, there's no right. more, uh, Liz is not around anymore, Abe's like hanging out in the fish tank because right. he, you know, got shot and everything. I guess I just feel like, what's his deal? Uh, so, so, I mean, there's still like a part you want to kind of sort of be like, hmm, I feel like he's been 
focused on the mission sure. lately. The last thing that he tried to tell Kate was that he wouldn't fail her again. And she was like, no, don't make any more promises. Right. You know, and that's kind of how that interaction yeah, ended. That's, that's part of it because I, I know that we all implicitly trust Kate with our lives. I think that we would all right. probably die for her at this point. And she's like, uh, actually, no, you suck. So that's how I end up feeling right. towards that character. But then she's still giving him missions. Sure. Well, what so fucking what is, choice does so, she have? So what the does world that is ending. Yeah. Who else does she have? <laughs> yeah, we'll talk a little bit about sure. that more later. Johan may also be feeling regret because he thinks he got off easy. Right. Yeah, he did mention Remember that. Remember after yeah. Giorocco and everyone got blown up? Yeah. Right. Oh, but I also wanted to talk a little bit about this style so in the forward, Scott Alley describes it as more grounded and realistic. His haunted and beautiful style lent itself well to the horror elements of the story. And I think that we get a really good illustration of that concept here in this story. So this is Lawrence Campbell's introduction to the Hellboy universe. Yeah. Right? And this guy comes out swinging. Oh, yeah. The, all the glorious, fun violence that we like with James Heron is for the moment behind us. Yeah. And now we have stuff that you don't want to see. <laughs> I, I love, yes, I love how you how you were able to verbalize that, yeah. Well, like his sense of realism is frightening yeah. when it needs to be, and the rest of the time, it's dark. Yes, go it's, ahead. It's the essence of gritty, if you ask me. I really love your comments on that, and I think it just kind of lends itself well to these more kind of person-focused, man-on-the-ground stories. BPRD in the streets, yep. and this is a uh, wasteland. Is where this is for me. This is where Hell on Earth really began. I know this isn't the first arc under that title, but they really start to crank it up now. Oh yeah, and, and you see the world for what it is, right up close and personal. Yeah. Also, want to point out, like you know, the coloring of I, the master for Dave Stewart as always, but. I was like noticing it as I was reading it, like, you know, there's all the texture and like the different brushes and stuff that he uses. Yeah. But like when you go back and look at Hellboy in Hell in, with Mike Mignola's style, it's all solid colors and yeah. things like that. And it, it's not as textured. And so it makes me wonder, does, does Dave Stewart approach it and be like, okay, this is how I'm going to color it? Or does he talk to Lawrence Campbell and be like, right. hey, how would you like me to color this? Yeah. yeah. He does. I, I have heard interviews with Dave Stewart where he says he calls the artist. And they talk it over. Wow. Oh, cool. For sure. And I think that there's going to be, a, a just in my personal experience, not necessarily with comic book art because I'm not a comic book artist, but in uh, any type of collaboration of any kind creatively, you're going to kind of sit down and be like, how do you feel about that? Oh, well, I, I let, well, of course, but you're, you're an amazing colorist. So whatever you want to do is incredible. But I was thinking like just for this page that we could have it a little right, bit like right. if this is kind of moody, you know, like if you throw things out there at each other and come to a general consensus usually you're going to leave it up to the master which is one or two exciting ideas that you've got right and right. so that's kind of i think also when you're on a team you got to trust each other a little bit and so it's kind of but if you have very specific ideas about this moment or that moment i'm sure it's cool for you to voice your opinion with a caveat that you understand that you trust this person to be able to do their job well. Yeah. So I don't know. I imagine it's it's a collaboration of sorts, but it's also something that everyone's got a job to do. So. Sure. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but I like I like hearing that that collaboration exists. And we cut to the team in the BPRD helicopter. They're flying in a lightning storm. And Nichols is a little spooked, right? Every time the lightning goes off, he kind of freaks out. There's this guy, Brando, flying with him. And he's totally cool with everything. He's all doped up on sedatives. And he's not too optimistic about their mission. They're heading to Chicago to look for another squad that went missing in broad daylight. And yeah, throughout this scene, Nichols keeps getting spooked by the lightning. And then we hear this loud crack. And one of them's like, oh, you know, I don't think that that was from the storm. And so we we see this crazy looking Ogdruhem coming out of the ground. That is wild. Yeah, I love Here we the, go. I, I, I love this effect too, like the... It looks like it's like there's light coming from within. Yeah, you know, like there's yeah. kind of some uh, luminescence going on in those little like eyes or whatever that are all around it, and it's got this big bulb head, and so the bulb head opens up. This is so horrible, right? And it lets out that mist, <laughs> the breath of change, just like we saw with the salt and sea monster, and so we saw how that like transformed them into all these horrible creatures, and so when that happens, Johan yells, "Hell!" Your gas mask, put them on now. But it's too late for this guy, Brando. He turns into a gross mutant monster guy. <laughs> and Lawrence Campbell, he's just blowing my mind with this grotesque transformation. It also looks like the pilot transformed, too. Yeah, that's even more. <laughs> that ramps up the horror again, too. And so That's not what you want to see. Why so, are these people not wearing masks? Right, exactly. Well, I guess, you know, they didn't. This thing just literally popped up out of the ground and blew I this mean, stuff at them. They so know where they're going now, right? Like, well, I have a question: Is why haven't they like pressure sealed these things? I mean, money, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. <I guess. laughs> and so the helicopter starts going down. Yeah, the horror element that Lawrence Campbell lends to these monsters is really, really incredible. Once they're down, Johan starts asking if everyone is okay. Shut the fuck up, Johan! Shut up and get me away from this thing! Nichols yells. And we see, like, the dead monster that Brando turned into. Really great action moment. And so Johan checks in on the agents. This one agent, Gervish, gets her arm in a sling. We also meet Agent Enos. Lines are down. Earth-belching monsters. It's the friggin' end is what he says. So that monster didn't attack them. It was more like reacting to them. Because, I mean, it's now it's just kind of, like, drifting off, right? Oh, yeah, you know? yeah. Like, it's definitely not coming after them. That to me, that's even scarier than being attacked by a monster. Right, that, they're just popping up everywhere. Like, you could suffer yeah, just incidentally, yeah. just being around. Yeah, like if a uh, if you're walking through the woods and a tree grabbed you. you know? <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of also feel like nothing, despite being quote unquote upwind from something that just interacting with the air molecules right. that it expels could change you into a fucking monster yeah would keep the mask on probably yeah. just would keep it on so yeah don't know I mean, what they're doing and also the wind could change at any moment what the fuck is wrong with them <laughs> johan says they're 60 miles short of chicago that's the way that they'll be heading we'll leave as soon as nichols comes out he says and so we cut over to nichols and he's in the helicopter he's having to salvage equipment from all the dead agents and he sees brando's sedatives is this not a? Are we not worried about any sort of infectious? I, I, I just you mean the blood? Like the blood? I, yeah. Any is any of it? Just uh, well, you just talked about like the gas mask. So it's yeah. like, are you? 
So you could get a gas mask right. and that'll protect you from becoming a monster, but it's kind of got some blood on it. So I'm also thinking about it in terms of like, like, I guess because we all just watched Chernobyl, right? And like the radiation <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. interacting with any kind of object is going to, I don't know. I'm thinking of it now in terms of that, of like, it has it been, are the atoms affected right. by this? Sure. How does this work? How does the breath of change work i'm sort of trying to pin it down and i would not want to touch any of this no, stuff yeah. by the way and so we cut to the team they're walking through the streets and so it's literally bprd in the streets here right <laughs> <laughs> right literally but, uh is this possibly the or maybe not the exact same squad but do you think these are the same guys from the long death oh it might be because those are all the troops that nichols is with but i don't think we meet enos until this arc so maybe yeah, it's is... uh, maybe it's some new ones and some old ones. Yeah. And the team, they have no way to communicate or anything. They're trying out cars. Nothing has gas. Nichols says it feels like they're the only ones alive. And just on cue, we see someone pointing a gun at him. We hear a familiar ronk sound. <laughs> and then with those bat-faced monsters come at the agents. And Campbell does some great action beats here. So two monsters come at nickels in front of him if you ever want to raise the stakes in a story just flip a few cars yeah, yeah. <laughs> flip some cars over and so as nickels is firing at these two then one comes from the side right i like this line from nickels he sees it coming and he goes motherfucker i ain't playing <laughs> awesome and so they see more monsters coming up from the chasm in the earth but enos is able to get his grenade launcher in there and he firebombs them and the agents marvel at the fact that the monsters seem to plan the attack, right? So they did like a velociraptor a la Jurassic Park, right? That thing where it's yeah. kind of like they tried to distract them. So they're like coordinating their efforts to try and get people. A uh, bait and switch? Yeah. Maybe? Well, it's like, it's like a, you know, how like wolves and pack animals run and stuff like that. They do coordinate attacks like that. Right? So yeah. that's just actually super cool in general. Yeah. I saw them do it last night. Again this morning, a voice yells, and we see a local man and a kid standing on top of a supermarket, and they're yelling down at the agents. Nichols asks where everyone else is, and the man says he needs to come down to explain that. And so they end up calling this guy Mr. Nelson. I don't think they ever say his first name. And the kid is five-year-old Lucas. So they come down, they start talking to the agents. They all take a walk so they can talk about what happened, and Gervish is distracting Lucas. Mr. Nelson tells his story, and we get these awesome flashback scenes by Lawrence Campbell. And I think, like, his grounded, realistic style, and then the elements of this story, you know, we've talked about this before, how they pair people for yeah. the right job. And so... We've seen like all these, you know, the heroes are quote unquote BPRD agents. They have like this global view of everything that's happening. But here we get to see like what's really, what it would really be like for the, and this is the yeah. part that really gets me. Like this yeah. story got to me. It, yeah. it really It did. makes you want to pack a bug out bag. Oh yeah. It, this could be yep. your neighborhood. This could be your, you and your neighbors here. Right. And, and your, for, your home. for me, it starts with this one line where she's like, you bought skim milk. I can't drink that stuff. Be back in 15 minutes. I'll be back soon, like, yeah. And that's it. And it's like, if if I was the... I take that line and I go, if I was the one who didn't get the right milk, 
like I would not be able to live with oh, myself. No. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, if, uh, I didn't get the whole milk, yeah. right? And that's very relatable because you drink whole milk, right? And again, I drink but then almond again, milk. It's such a normal. <laughs> it's such a normal. It's such a normal thing. But like that, just that little decision. Right. Oh, I forgot something at the grocery store. Yeah. I'm gonna yeah. go back and get it. Like that could be it. But you know you can't, what I mean? You can't. That could be. But on the other end of that, it's. It's just people living their lives, yeah. man. Like you can't really, even without monsters, that could be a thing. It could be a car wreck instead of a monster. You know what I mean? So it's yeah. it's not really. Sure, you sure. You can't blame yourself. You'd be like, ah, oh, I forgot the beans for the chili. I got to go back and get that. Like, right. You know, you're going to get that for your recipe. Sure. But you could end up dead. There could be a, a guy. He I guess that could happen anywhere. But yeah, yeah. So it's. But. No, I know what you mean, though. I mean, it's just like, you know, like you, you would think in your head, if oh, if I hadn't sent her out or she hadn't gone out to get the milk because sure. I fucked up, then she might still be here with us right. instead of turning into a monster. Well, if, but, if, if humans hadn't arisen on the planet and, and you know, there then there wouldn't be, that person wouldn't have died. Like, right. it's kind of, yeah, you could sure. trace it all the way back to the beginning of the universe. <laughs> of if the universe hadn't have formed, then well, I mean, this of, wouldn't have happened. Of course, of yeah. course. But I mean, it doesn't, you know, stop, you know, like people thinking like oh sure. man absolutely right. yeah exactly yeah. for sure but then it, this is also kind of like a little bit like a definitely is a more scarier thing because it yeah. really is just kind of a a mundane thing this sure everyday life and all yeah. of a sudden fucking monsters pop out of the ground and mist starts turning people into yeah. more monsters right exactly to, yeah. to me like what like what john was saying earlier to me it just reminds me to be like always say goodbye i love you to people when they're leaving you yeah. know that kind of a thing you know? sure yeah you never know and so that's exactly what happens here. You know, she leaves and we see the mom is wearing this heart Yeah, pattern. I was going to say the artist made sure to put a jacket that we would all recognize. Sure, it's I got love. these hearts all over it. And then so she leaves out. A couple minutes later, there's an earthquake and all this red mist starts coming out of the ground. Nelson says the earthquake killed a lot of people in their homes. But Nelson was an army ranger, so he knew a wet cloth would be better than nothing. And so they, him and Lucas use a wet cloth over their mouths to avoid getting taken over by the red mist it seems to have worked for them i like this line though he says i'm I'm a ranger they taught us about germ warfare oh yeah so that's what he thinks is going on sure is oh, it yeah. other people doing this to them he has no idea like the scope or anything he's just like oh someone's attacking us right. with germ warfare that's just such an interesting because that's what you would be like oh what is it what is it You'd be thinking about what it could possibly be, and he's like, he's got to take some action. Something's better than nothing. I just thought that was interesting. Like you were saying, it's in yeah, the streets. Sure. It's- we see Nelson shooting at the transformed people. I should have run right then, he says. Wish I had, but I wanted to be where my wife could find me. And they focus in on him. It's so realistic, his face. And then we see his expression is not just because of these monsters, but we he sees his wife. He sees one of those monsters in the raincoat. Yeah. Ugh, look at that image. Yeah, that is especially dreadful. Horrible. Yeah. But yet, a beautiful image. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so Nelson says he went into Jason Bourne mode. We see him burst out of his garage in his car, but his car went out when they hit the freeway. Maybe like an EMP went off, so they had to go on foot. And that's another thing that like, fucking scares me too can you imagine like being that? on the fr- that happened to me once yeah i was on the freeway i was like 65 miles an hour and then the car just was dead wow stopped and i was like, oh shit <laughs> god damn it's the scariest thing <laughs> it's so fucking scary so yeah when i saw that panel i was just like Ugh. so everyone gets out and starts walking and then those those monsters the bat face monsters he calls them mole monsters i like that better so i might say that from now on and so they come up and so they start killing people too 
And so they started walking on a roof so the mole monsters couldn't hear them. He says he saw it in a movie. Which movie is that? Yeah, what movie Tremors. Ah, Tremors. Oh, okay. Nice. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Should've thank you known. for that, Aubrey. So they bring Nelson back around to Lucas. He has to go to the bathroom or something. Gervish says she heard enough to know it's bad. Around here, yes, Johan says, but you haven't seen what I've seen, Agent Gervish. You weren't in Nebraska. Which mission is he referring to here? Is that the Long Death? Which mission was in Nebraska? I, I, I would assume it like would that. be the Long Death. Yeah? Is that yeah. what he was talking I about? I think so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, where was his last mission? Is he just talking about the Black Flame? Yeah, that's what I was thinking, too, because uh, wasn't that in Nebraska? Yeah. So, just stay the fuck out of Nebraska. Because <laughs> what else would Johan have seen between the, the end of the Black Flame when all the frogs went nuts? Yeah. And now? Well, he saw he was in Munich, but that was, you know, that was in another country. Right. So, with Nelson and Lucas in tow, the team head to Chicago. It would take a few days to get there on foot. Maybe we'll learn something before then. If not, we just keep walking. And so then we cut back to the beginning scene where Nichols was going to sleep. And he was wondering if it was safe to go to bed. Johan is watching over the team. And Johan hears a growling and he sees yellow eyes in the dark. And so he yells, no, no, no food for you. On your way, beast. And as the animal gets closer, we see it's an evil, transformed, human, suction face monster man. Gross. (laughs) We can see the eyes of many more in the background. So Johan's trying to watch over the team, and then there's just these horde of monsters coming up. And that's how the issue ends. Jeez. Uh, Johan's journaling. What do you think about that? Oh, like you're right. A, yeah. Keeping a journal. Yeah, the little thought boxes are what he's writing. I didn't I didn't even make that connection. Thank you for that, Matt. That's really interesting. Yeah, there's something kind of cool about that. Yeah, well, um, he talked about the suit made him feel more human. I have knuckles now, that whole thing, so... Yeah, I wonder if he did a lot of writing in the old suit. Hmm. So that's just that's just something they're letting you figure out. Right. right? That's like we were saying, but it's a little bit different. It, it's a note I want to make at the end of this particular series. Okay. But I think it's worth noting here. And then I also wanted to point out, Johan yells at the monster before it comes out of the dark. Right. And that translates to shoo. Oh, okay. <laughs> like he's trying to he's trying to shoot it away. Yeah. It just sounds just like an old dude. Shoot, shoot. <laughs> we get another great cover by Dave Johnson for chapter two. We open on Yosef talking with Kate. And so now we get to see Lawrence Campbell's takes on, on these characters, which I always enjoy. Yosef's been trying to get a hold of her for 30 hours since shit hit the fan at the end of the Return of the Master. Moscow has been spared some. The base in Colorado is fine, but San Francisco's a nightmare. And they can't reach their field teams like Jiroko and Scotland. And Yosef reveals that he has them. Her and ten others. Ten, Kate says, I sent out more than two dozen. Ten is better than nine, Yosef says. It's a philosophy <laughs> that will serve us well going forward. So I like that little comment, right? Well, always looking on the bright side. Yeah. They catch each other up on the missions in Return of the Master and try to figure out how the BPRD can get their troops back from Russia. And Yosef, I like this moment, he gets a little starstruck meeting Panya. He's like, oh, you know, this is terrible circumstances, but I think you're awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Yosef mentions Johan told him a lot about her. And Kate remembers Johan on his mission. She's like, Johan, I'm sorry, Dr. Corrigan, did you say something? And we cut back over to Johan. He's in this pickle, right? All these monsters are around him. So he starts yelling again for the team to put their gas masks on. 
and Nichols hesitates, probably from the sedatives, right? So did yeah. so he took them, yeah. right? And I mean, he knows that those sedatives did not do his friend any favor. Sure, yeah, he saw right? it happen. Took him anyway. Pauline Raskin would be upset with his <laughs> off training methods here. Sure, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Looks like the BPRD only had one extra gas mask, so Nelson puts it on Lucas. And he tells him not to worry, he's still got his bandana. The agents shoot at the monsters, and Lucas calls for his dad. And, well, horrible reveal, right? We, so we see that Lucas's dad got turned into one of those. He's still holding the rag, too. He was like, don't worry, yeah. I got my bandana. He still got it as a monster. Oh, he's still holding on to it. So that's how quickly that shit happens. Gervish quickly scoops up the kid, and the monsters retreat as they keep shooting. Johan calls for them to cease fire. They don't have unlimited ammunition, and they can't see all the monsters in the mist. Johan directs the agents, and Nichols thanks Gervish for snapping him out of his stupor to get his mask on. And Gervish says she needs a favor. Yeah? Oh, Nichols says. The, they killed the father right. after he turned into a monster, and so yeah. he's got to get it out of there. I just wanted to point out the panel on this way he's saying we don't have ammunition. I just like the panel, the way it's all laid out with like all of them standing there with guns and the fire yeah, behind them. I'm it all looks like, great. Right? Right? That's a fucking like action movie shot right there. All this is so we, we keep talking about um how it's cinematic, but the realism that Campbell adds to this, I think it really kind of ramps up that realism a notch. Yeah, and you know, there are a few times where he depicts the entire team like lined up or Oh yeah. Or, yeah. pose like that there's more than one of those going forward everyone is just iconic yes yeah but lucas knows what's going on gervish says she won't let anyone hurt him she's not going anywhere i want my daddy lucas says and so we get this really kind of emotional beat and then we get this creepy kind of aftertaste to it you know what i mean we see lucas and gervish hugging and then as we pan out we see the the mom monster is still there in the background. The monster. There you go. <laughs> What'd you guys think of this page here? A very sad and just heart wrenching. Yeah, you know, you know, cause like he's like, I want my dad, and he's like, she's like, Oh, I know, baby, I know you do. But hey, hey your mom's still walking around. Yeah, <laughs> she's a horrible monster, though. They, yeah, they really let Campbell take his time with this emotional moment. So he draws everything a lot more realistic than Mike Manola, but he's using shadow the same way oh yeah form mm -hmm. and like on that first shot of them hugging you know exactly what that is right but it's yeah. what 90 percent solid black sure yeah you're absolutely right we still see it yeah he does that a lot it's pretty good the, next... yeah, the way the fire looks in the background and just you know yeah. once again here's an artist in black and white implying a lot of light shadow um for emotional effect and dave stewart just jumps right on it yeah we talked about that a lot with james heron yeah very cool the next morning they continue walking on their way to chicago i like these team moments you know where they're all just kind of hanging out for a little bit we get some banter between the agents they give all these details of what it's like to live in hell on earth we learn the mutated human horde are following the bprd gang to chicago so i think that's super creepy too it's like they're back a couple ways, but they're keeping pace with them. Gervish tells Lucas not to look back. She'll take care of him. And, of course, this guy Enos has to come up and make a comment, right, about it. He calls her a tiger mama or something like that. What in the fuck? 
<laughs> but Johan tells him to be quiet. He hears a rumbling. And so I really like this scene, right? So they hear this rumbling. They get all scared. And then it's just all these horses. You know, and then as the horses yeah. are running, they're like, what are they running from? So like that, I just love whenever yeah. something like that happens. You know, the animals are reacting to some danger in the area. And it like ramps up that spookiness. I wasn't expecting horses, to be honest with you, when I, when I turned the yeah. page. I was just like, holy shit. And then they're like, oh, yeah, what are they fucking running from? And it's a beautiful reveal, too, when you're reading it in the physical version because it's a you know nice double page. And so we see the horses hauling ass, and then we see mole monsters, and they start fucking up all the horses and the agents alike. Enos calls for everyone to fall back so he can use his rocket launcher. Just so cool and realistic looking, you know? Enos is able to blow up all the monsters, and afterwards he kind of loses it, right? He curses out Johan. Yeah, Yeah, he says like he curses out Johan for saying it's not that bad. And when Johan tells him to calm down, Enos says, "You're gonna calm me down into a grave with this goddamn death march to Chicago." I want to be like, "Okay, leave, get out of here, right? Goodbye, (laughs) get the fuck out of here. You're welcome to go anywhere you want. Goodbye." And Johan's like, look, we have no choice. There are no phones, no radio, no cars. We have to walk. And Nichols gets this awesome idea. He's like, actually, I don't know about that as he pulls up one of the horses. And so, great scene. We we cut to them learning how to ride the horses. I I love this because I feel like in a random other comic, we would just cut to them on the horses. Like everybody would know how to instantly ride a horse. Exactly, but they take the time to go, no, Johan has never been on a horse, nonetheless in this suit that he's wearing, so he's going to have to learn some things about horses. And they really take the time to show Nichols explaining the whole horse's point of view, and I I just really love this scene, and I love seeing Johan on the horse. And also, I mean, you have to (laughs) probably supply up when you've got horses. They need to be fed and watered, and do any of them require any sort of medical attention you know it's kind of one of those things like you know you got to get extra extra shit there's all kinds of saddles and what do they call it tack and whatever yeah with saddlebags but it's like you know they're they're gonna need some some stuff you got to get the stuff to cut their hooves and who knows how long you're gonna need those horses yeah so i just really like that they that they do this scene well i I was gonna say that was a great jump between scenes at the end of the previous page and the beginning of the next one you're right they're at a country club (laughs) yes there's there's passage of time there but it doesn't interrupt the story at all right and and they don't have they don't have to put a time stamp on that goes you know later that same day sure i i really like that with the horses like you can also bring along more supplies for yourself as well you know because the horses can help carry all that shit right like food and medical supplies if they can find any that is i just wanted to make an observation that just occurred to me about enos so i don't like dog parks Uh, i knew a dog trainer one time who used an analogy about dog parks and she said there's always that one dog that's you let him loose and he just runs everywhere and he doesn't listen to his owner and he just keeps going up to different people and that that dog is essentially saying are you in charge are you in charge (laughs) oh wow are you the leader Who's the leader? Because I, I don't know who the leader is. Because my owner my guy is, is not. He's like not no the kind leader of leader. Of me, right. yeah. yeah. So I think this is Enos in some ways challenging who's supposed to be the leader. You know, he starts swearing at him. He starts yelling at him. Oh, he, yeah. It's totally unwarranted. Yeah. Right? Maybe Johan has a reputation worthy of that kind of disdain. But I think this is more Enos going, uh, who is in charge? Right. It's and, also and a I'm stress gonna, response. 
too. I mean, yeah, this is pretty yeah. stressful. He's like challenging his authority sure. at every turn. Yeah. And being a smart mouth whenever he can. And I think he's just in need of some true uh, leadership. Right. Mm. Interesting. I, I like learning all these different characters, too. That's another thing that we're gaining in this Hell on Earth more grounded thing is like, you know, we have Johan in there, but all the other people that we're talking about are just regular agents. Yeah. Yeah. Nichols says they were due some good luck, and they ask how much he knows about horses. Fletcher Street Urban Riding Club, son, he says. The Fletcher Street Urban Riding Club is a nonprofit organization devoted to inner city horsemanship in North Philadelphia. Part of a century-long tradition of black urban cowboys and horsemanship in Philadelphia, local horsemen maintain and care for horses and teach neighborhood youth to do so. They encourage academic excellence and provide positive ways for local youth to spend their leisure time outdoors. The horses used in the program were initially purchased at a livestock auction, giving a second chance to animals that would otherwise have been killed. Yeah, so that was interesting. A little tidbit there about Fletcher Street Urban Riding Club. Anyway, so this is so badass seeing them ride the horses, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. As they take off, Nichols rears his horse up. So long, you stanky mothers. And they're off. (laughs) I really like that. We see them riding through the red mist on the horses. They learn that the horses aren't affected by the breath of change. And they lose more agents in their battles with the mole monsters. And all this is so just epic and cool looking you know um they kind of do this it's kind of like a montage of them traveling and all these caption boxes are from johan's journal yes yeah i find it interesting that the uh the horses or non-humans aren't affected by the breath of change and i wonder why that is yeah that is interesting i mean is it this particular breath of change or is it all breath of change right we have seen some animals get all mutated before right but I can't remember if it was from the breath of change. Oh, well, maybe hell is exclusively for humans. Mm. Ooh. Horses don't go to hell, and these things are from hell. Right. Maybe that's... Ah. Right, yeah. Hell on Earth. Uh, yeah. And they make it to Chicago. And let's talk about this panel right here. The The realism and the, the sense of scale is just really incredible as they come up here. Is that the same monster that popped out the ground at the beginning? It looks it's very similar. Yeah. I think it's the same kind of one, because obviously they had to walk all the way to Chicago, and I, I don't think there were big cityscapes around there, but it's the same kind of monster. Yeah. Yeah, so I really like this. They end up camping out on the highway. They plan to locate Lehan's team, who we saw in the Abyss of Time. The, those are those guys. We get a nice character moment between Lucas and Gervish. He calls her Gervish, and she decides to tell him, her real name, and she's like, but I just want you to keep it between us because it's only for friends. She's like, it's Becca. This little moment is really cute, and they start laughing, and Enos comes up. What are you two up to? Planning a mutiny? Just a really nice um, character moment, setting us up to be really sad later. (laughs) (laughs) You know, actually, that's just one thing I actually really, you know, I know we've talked about this a zillion times, but that is just one thing I really enjoy about this BPRD series are those human moments you right know what I mean? right and i mean it is a horror comic dealing with some fucked up monsters and people are turning into monsters people get eaten by monsters but it still keeps that human element right to it. yeah and i love it johan says he can stand watch as they sleep but they all have to sleep with their gas masks on no i hate this thing lucas says it smells and it makes my face wet 
I could totally see that sucking. You know what I mean? Like that's the reality. That, like I, I just even those little details where if you're wearing a gas mask all day, this is what it does, and this is the irritating yeah. part of having with that. This one time I went and played paintball, and we had to wear those paintball masks. Um, and you know, and it had just rained. Like, uh, like it had been raining all week, and it was still in the summer. So you know, how, you know how humid it gets, right? And as soon as you put the mask on, it's like it fogs right the fuck up, <laughs> right? And you're like, I can't see anything. Put your mask back on. Put your mask back on. Right? Yeah, and exactly. If you were yeah. wearing something like this, you wouldn't be able to take it off, and so you'd have to just deal with that fogginess. Right. And yeah, that would suck. Uh, and then just this, your face all sw- I cannot stand having my face sweaty. Yeah, drippy bothers me. Gervish tells him, we all have to do it so we don't get sick. And buddy, if you got sick, it'd break my heart. Gervish makes him promise that he'll wear it and never take it off until she says so. Okay, I promise, Lucas says. And then we see as soon as they're all asleep, we see Lucas sneak off. And he sneaks off right behind Johan, who's standing watch. Way to watch there, Johan. Right. He must have been really quiet. Okay. You know what I mean? Because it's like, because <laughs> it's like totally quiet out there. I can't imagine there's a lot of environmental noise, you know, and stuff like that. And like, how does Johan not hear this little kid? Johan doesn't have real eyes. How does he not see the kid? <laughs> oh yeah, when he was watching the thing, when he was watching the monitors, he right. said that he could see in 360 degrees. Yeah. So what is yeah, going on is, there? This is like Johan. You had one job. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe he let him go. Because, well, that would be pretty cold-hearted. Right. Do you, do you think he considered that kid dead weight? Or is is this Johan just being detached again? It could, I would say more detached. I don't know if he considered the kid dead weight. But then also I just yeah. had a thought, because, you know, he got the suit from Yosef, and it's got that big plate on the back. Maybe he couldn't oh. see the kid because he's got a blind spot now. Oh, now he's got a blind spot and the kid is short. Yeah. That would make sense, too. So he's detached. And he's got a blind spot. Yeah. He's probably thinking the kid a little bit dead weight. But, you know. Right. Damn it, Johan. You had one job. Yeah, really. <laughs> this issue has a letter from Drew Campbell in the back. Oh, wow. Okay. Cool. Hey. Drew Campbell. Book club member. <laughs> Before we go on to chapter three, I, I have to go pee. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, All right. I'm back. So Matt was just telling us that um, A Cold Day in Hell came out before this one yeah cold day in hell is number 105 and 106 yeah you're right the 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 revert the order is reversed in the omnibus for some reason they've done that with a couple stories i i was just speculating that it might have to do with this kind of doesn't even make sense as i say it now but like does that have anything to do what was going on in other titles oh okay this story is not affected reversing them i just wonder why they would do that right okay what what comes right before wasteland Oh, well, Wasteland's the first story in this omnibus, so the one that oh, came okay. right before this would be uh, Return of the Master. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think publication-wise, it was Abyss of Time, but I could be yeah. wrong. Uh, you might be right. Oh, my God. That's so boring. Okay, yeah, let's go yeah, on. Who knows? Sorry. Opening up on Chapter 3, did you want to say something about this cover, Aubrey? Fuck, I love this cover. I it's made it the background good. of my phone. Yeah. <laughs> it is cool. And I've had uh, Hellboy as the background of my phone for like the last eight months, and then I saw this, and I'm like... I okay. really like it, yeah. It's this, a good is, this is going to be my, Very my, strong. my background. Yeah, Dave Johnson, killing it on yeah. the covers. We open up on Gervish losing her shit over Lucas being gone. Johan says he has to assume that Lucas can't hear her or he doesn't want to come back. <sighs> There's part of me that's like, look, in extreme survival situations, 
sometimes shit like this is going to happen and it's going to be bad, but it's also going to be like, look, we have to keep going kind of thing. And then, you know, part of me is like, oh my God, no, fuck, that's horrible. It's a horrible thing to think like, no, but you never know, like if you're in that situation and I, so I keep going back and forth. I keep ping ponging back and forth between like trying to give people slack versus trying to be like, no, but if we don't fight for this and what are we fighting for? And it's kind of a... What are we even trying to live for if we're not trying to protect those that are most vulnerable in our population? So it's kind of like, and it's, it's anytime you come to one of the, like, if you've ever read the road or whatever, you know, it's like kind of that kind of a deal where they're, they're injecting some of that pathos into this with the little kid. I think the the kid is sort of a, a symbol for like, if you're not going to fight for this, what are you even fucking fighting for? What does it mean to survive if you're not going to try and uphold the values that you hold dear and et cetera, et cetera. I don't know. Maybe I'm just blowing a lot of hot air. No, I mean, it, it makes sense because it is like, you know, the, the little kid also like represents a connection to normalcy, to, to the life that they used yeah. to have. Right. And they were like, oh, how much longer are we going to fucking do this? And, you know, this guy's like, uh, this little kid is not responsible for what, it, you know, any right. of this. And Johan's like, yeah, well, there's limit to his responsibilities just as there are to mine. Right. Like, no, you were definitely responsible for this five-year-old. I mean, feel bad about it. As if that's not fucked up enough, then I really like this next page. We see Gervish just walking up. She stopped yelling. And Nichols tries to tell her, Gervish, I'm... And she's just like, let's just go. Yeah. She just walks past them without even looking. And then we see them... Like, they're not going anywhere fun. No. Like, they're leaving yeah. this horrible situation to go to this even more fucked up even situation. Even if they had the kid with them. With, they're taking him into this, right. like, no-win situation that is so horrible. Would you be able to protect him? And, and also, just on a side note, this panel is incredible. Yes. I love this panel. <laughs> I love the aesthetic of it. I love the way it looks. It immediately fills me with this extreme, very real dread. Like, I've had a nightmare oh, yeah. about this exact same thing. Like, I've, I've seen this image in my deepest dreams. You know, it's such a fucking iconic and gorgeous and horrifying yeah. all at the same time. It's something that I, I really, I know I've felt this kind of terror in my nightmares. And it's just something that is so well executed. It's fucking brilliant. Yeah. I love it. The highway being on fire is like, ugh. Oh, That's like the part that got, I'm just like, ugh. Well, this big ominous <laughs> floaty guy over the city. Oh, yeah. It's so fucking perfectly executed. And it looks like now it's like latched on to the, is it like drilling down? Yeah, I was wondering that too. Looks like it has a stem now. Right. Yeah. And with the horses, it's, <clears throat> anyway, it's just, it's great. And of course, the gotta, gotta give a shout out to Dave Stewart. Oh, and yeah. This is... Many Before. shouts out. Many shouts out. This is a, it's a painting, you know. This could be, you could hang this. Yeah. We switch over to some street kids. They find some cat food to eat. And one of them says, he feels kind of bad for some folks. This monster crap, power going out, it's a big thing to them. But you know, us, we always been scrounging, stealing, and never owned no car anyway. That was Things really just ain't different for us. Yeah, yeah, they're not different for I us. I really like that comment. Yeah. That made me think a lot about, like, who would be able to survive. It's people who do this every day. Right. Not because they're like, oh, I got to train myself how to survive, but because they're... Already that's surviving. just what they do to live every day. Yeah. That's how they fucking survive every single day. So, like, you think about it, like, those people would know what to fucking right. do and where to yeah. go and how to get food and water and 
how to use the bathroom and how to do all this stuff and yeah and i just that's one thing that i really love is so many times in this throughout the story we get these little tidbits yeah. of what it's like yeah. having to live through all this and be just a regular person it really is interesting but it also makes me think of those fucking prepper people oh yeah and how they would all be like aha <laughs> you know not, i'm not me. trying to disparage i don't even know if preppers is like a pejorative at this point i'm trying to i, I know that well, there was a show like Doomsday Preppers. Oh, right. Well, there's people who have very severe anxieties and they do things to alleviate that. And hey, how can you blame someone for wanting sure. to be prepared okay. for the worst? And I'm not trying to be a dick about it. I just, yeah, you know, yeah. anyway. Uh, yeah, it reminded me of something a lot less serious when uh, that kid's talking about things just ain't that different for us, really. it. I don't know why. It took me back to this old Dean Martin line. You know, Dean Martin uh-huh. from mm-hmm. uh, Martin and Lewis, the Rat Pack and all that. And he has this this line in his show where he goes, I feel sorry for people who don't drink. Because when they wake up in the morning, that's as good as they're going to feel all day. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it just kind of, I don't know why it reminds me of that. But it's like some people are living a life that's just you're going through the motions and other people are dealing with life. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. On the flip side of that, for uh, for some people, alcohol is the worst they're ever going to fucking feel. So right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Got yeah. that too. Right. No, but uh, also this lovingly rendered cigarette. I just want to point that. Oh out. yeah. That's really nice. And this character beat is suddenly interrupted by these humanoid monsters bursting out of the shop window. As the kids run away, the monsters start to get shredded. You know, so we we think that they're going to get them, and then all of a sudden, all this gunfire. I like this beat where they look up. Yeah, that's a really cool panel. So this whole page, the pacing has been really good on these layouts. I really like how. Oh yeah, well, this is. Uh, yeah, the way the horses are all lined up there, and Zinko, a better world. Is... Yes, the billboard in the background, oh, so yeah. good. We saw that Very they thematic. were. They had that poster in Return of the Master when they were in their little meeting. We saw that. Right. This is a great cold open. I really like this opening. We saw the street kids lead Lee Han's team to the building in Chicago, and now these street kids also know what what building it is. They say they don't know of Scotty, but they know the same place that they're talking about. And so we know this building. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because we just saw it in Hellboy in Hell. Oh, yeah, yeah. We just Mm -hmm. saw it last week also. Mm -hmm. And the street kids, they say they've seen outsiders there wearing Nazi patches. (laughs) Nazi patches. That's nice, Nichols says. Everybody all together now. Fuck, Fuck Nazis. Nazis. Fuck Nazis. <laughs> oh, hold on. Was he? Was the kid referring to actual Nazi patches, or were we referring to the BPRD patches and calling them Nazi patches? I'm sure they probably meant Nazi patches. Oh, is that what he's? He- I don't know, because that's kind of what I took it. Because that's why he's like says Nazi patches. That's nice. Oh, because they're calling the BPRD patches Nazi patches. That's and- that's how I kind of oh. that's how I took it. And oh, that's interesting. Yeah, why Nazis is in quotes right yes that's why oh i guess to them basically pointing i guess to them anyone in a uniform with a badge is gonna be see i thought that meant that project ragnarok people had had been there yeah i thought it was like zinko people Uh, i just don't know why they would have been there yeah no you're right aubrey i mean it could be either one but that's kind of i think your read on it makes more sense no, yeah, yeah and I, then, yeah, I can imagine anyone, anyone in a uniform, they would have been scared of because it's like, oh, we don't know who yeah. they are, where they're from, what they're doing, you know. So, well, and Nichols blows the guy off like right away in the next page. 
Right. Yeah. He's like, hey, what's that guy's story? And he's like, thanks for all your help. And they go down, they see that door that we saw from Abyss of Time, and it, it smells pretty bad in there. They say that they might want to put their gas masks on. And they go in, and they come across the aftermath of the scene that we saw at the end of Abyss of Time, the old dead Heliopic Brotherhood this guy. This fucking blew my mind when I turned the page. Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, He wasn't man. a ghost. I love this. He was a real. Yeah. He was a real guy. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, so this is crazy. When they go was, in there. When he was like, oh, I know this guy. It's Howard's. I was like, oh, shoot. Yes. <laughs> and, um, but Enos is complaining again. He says, they came all this way and they're dead. But Johan says, they needed to know. And they can't rouse Howard's. Johan calls for the first aid pack on his horse. And Gervish says, she'll go get it to get away from this stench. So this is the room where Edward Gray was dragged to hell. Yes. That's true. And this is the room where, like, who knows what they were doing in there before that, right? Sure. But this is, but this is the room where Howard's has been in a coma for how long? It's been a while. Yeah. Well, it's a mystical coma, I mean, so it's magic. Those, well, no, but it's body. still been a while ago. Yeah. Well, yeah, but so to me, he's alive. Right. Just in uh, prehistoric times. Right. Yes. Right. He's he's um he's been Galdenar this whole time. So I think that's keeping him alive somehow. There's like a magical connection there uh-huh. because of the sword maybe or right. like the uh the imprint that was left on that room because of the supernatural well, yeah, we or were talking traumatic ab- experience. We were talking about this. I think it's the sword. For sure. I think that that yeah. is a some sort of a an event horizon. Right. It's like a fucking, you know, it's a singularity every- of sorts. Those other bodies are pretty decomposed. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you're right. So they have been there for a long-ass time. But uh, it was a team that Kate sent, though, right? Yeah, that's why they're there looking for him. Mm. But um, uh, another thing I was going to say was... Oh, I think it is a location thing, though. I think we've seen in some stories where the location has been important for certain things to happen. Right. And I think that maybe it's a little bit of both, the sword and the... You know, um, but I, I'm not entirely sure... I love the flashlight. Oh, yeah. Like when they first come in the room, there's that line that just shoots across the whole room. Yes. He does that a couple of times. That's very cool. Like the lens flare or whatever, or that kind of effect that you would get from that. Again, that that realistic tone that he brings. So when Gervish goes out to get the first aid pack, she hears someone call Becca, and it's Lucas. And he found his mama. She's alive. She's okay, he says. The monsters, these zombies, used the kid as a way to get in. Yes. Because they were they were keeping their distance, right? Yeah, they were. They knew that Gervish even kept saying, like, don't stop looking at them. You know, turn around, don't look yeah. back at them. And signs I, of intelligence. Yeah. And the face on this thing is really <laughs> is really Jeez. horrific and awesome. It's like a half spider, half People it's like teeth. A spider. People, yeah. Spider with people teeth. It's... There you go. It'd be like a like a weird spider. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. And he's so innocent too. He says, I kept my mask on, like you said, but it itches. Can I take it off now? And I like how Gervish, she doesn't like I feel like this is again where yeah. the stereo the stereotypical horror movie, she would be like, ah 
or something yeah. like that, right? But right. here she just she stays calm. She's like, you know, can you come here for a second? You this know, is a very Jurassic Park moment. It's yes. a very like, okay, we're all gonna be very calm. Yes, and you're I like come that. It here. shows that she has some training. Well, you know? it also shows that her priority is this kid's safety, and she's like, this is a very delicate situation, yes. and what we're gonna do is we're all gonna be calm. And so she knows at any moment she could lose this kid. Right. And it's very precarious, which well, is so, it builds so much tension. Plus, she's also a trained, like, soldier. So right, she, sure. She wouldn't just freak out. Right. You know, she has to, she, she would know to keep her head cool. Yes. Yeah. Not well, like, it, like that other guy that keeps bitching the whole life. <laughs> <laughs> it's like John said, you know, when you, when you see characters that are supposedly, uh, whatever, uh, they're, you think that they would be able to handle themselves in this situation, but they start screaming or something. Right. It's very ridiculous. Inside, the team tries to put Howard's on a stretcher, and they hear all the commotion from outside. They hear gunfire and roaring, and Lucas is screaming, No, 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 Mama! Agent Howard's not wearing a mask. Oh, right, yeah. And they, they talk about that later, but yeah, he's been he's been in there the whole time. But they don't even think to... I mean, I guess they don't have any, but... Right, because they not, call for everyone to put on their gas masks. But, but not even, like, a wet rag. Right. <laughs> I guess part of them is maybe, like, look, we're all awake and ambulatory and we're right. ready to go if we have to get out of here. I don't know if we can, like, carry sure. a guy who's in a coma sort of a thing. They might have already been, like, all right. Right. You know. Yeah, it might be too late. Not saying that it's the right thing to do, just saying they're in a very emergency situation. Maybe they're just, like... We just got to do what we can, and I don't know. Lucas is screaming at Gervish that he hates her until Johan intervenes. Boy, that's enough from you. That would shut you up for sure, right? Having this weird ghost face (laughs) dome-headed thing get in in front of you. Hey, sometimes you just need to be like, you know what? You got to just stop. (laughs) They bar the door, um, but we can see that it's giving way on the inside. And again, all, all these really horror elements just work really well. We get that nice um, flashlight line or whatever that we saw in a previous scene. The monsters, they burst in and the agent starts shooting at them. And we see Howard's is still um, asleep during all this. You can feel them come through that door. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. It, it's paced very well as we see like the barrier breaking and all that stuff. The monsters, they start driving the agents back into the room. And so one of them bumps Howard's sword. He still got it in his grip. Uh, Johan tells Enos he might have to use his grenades. Wait, what the hell does that mean? You just flit your ghost ass right out of here, won't you? Enos tells him. Not now, Enos, Johan says. Is everything a fight too? And suddenly Howard's wakes up. He growls as he rises. <laughs> this is so awesome. I he starts growling. <laughs> was freaking out so hard. You have no idea. Oh, Same here. So good. And so it builds it up really nice. And as we turn the page, we see Howard's leap over the team. Johan's like, hold fire. And uh, he just starts swinging the sword over his head and he just goes to town. So I want to talk about this a little bit. When you're reading this thing issue by issue, this storyline, I don't remember being like in a good place. Like I remember like for whatever reason, I was kind of having a hard time whenever this was coming out. And the first two issues had been so depressing and right. just kind of yeah. like, uh, like you get to a point where you're just like, it's, you know, you look forward to this and you just see that, you know, you become emotionally invested. And then when you get to this moment, it was just like the hugest payoff for me. You know oh, what I yeah, mean? Yeah. Uh, the three months into this, into this we'll story. We'll never regret saying that I was 
this was the guy I was looking forward to seeing. Right. Never will regret it. Had no idea what I was talking about. Really good call. Sure. For yeah. some reason on my part. I just happened to be extremely vindicated. And so Howard's he goes running up the stairs and he's just chopping through all the monsters. He's in full Gardenar mode. Yes. Right? Yeah. He's in that berserker mode. He has done this plenty of times already. Oh yeah, yeah. Talk about muscle memory. He just wakes up and starts killing everything. <laughs> the team want to help, but shooting is too dangerous. And it doesn't look like he needs help, one of them says. For now, but he can't keep it up forever, can he? Looks like he fucking can to me, right? <laughs> yeah. Man, this this image, like, on the next page where he's, like, just standing there after slaughtering all those people and he's got his arm down the sword and he's all like all right who's next motherfucker yeah you know, i'm just like oh i got chills when i saw that the setup was definitely worth it for this guy right oh yeah totally and having again this realistic lawrence campbell look just makes it all the better i have to wonder did they know they were going to go down this road with the character oh because right i hope somebody chimes in from the book club and checks me on this but i I remember, I think it was Scott Alley saying they didn't plan to do much more with the guy. And then the reader reaction blew up. Oh, wow. After Abyss of Time. I think it was after Abyss of Time, the readers were like, well, that was the coolest thing ever, right? Right. It so really was. What, yeah. When that came out, it really was the coolest thing ever. I just, I'm not sure they had this planned. Yeah, Maybe I don't know. Outside, one of the agents says they should call him Conan. And so, again, we get that Robert E. Howard callback. He said he was having some kind of nightmare. And they also noticed that the red mist didn't affect him. We also see Nichols rounding up the horses. Gervish was smart enough to cut them loose when the monsters came out. And and I like this, too. They're getting ready to ride the horses. They're like, you know, Nichols is like, I can think of worse partners to spend the end of days with. But they don't need to do that. Here comes a helicopter. Better late than never, one of them says. Gervis talks to Johan about Lucas. It's a state home for him, isn't it? She asks. Adoption is always a possibility, I suppose, Johan says. But after what he saw you do... Yeah, Gervis says, he'll hate me for the rest of his life. The longer the better. Oh, it's great. What a great yeah. line to end on. Yeah, and, and I really, again, I kind of mentioned this earlier, but I really like this focus, too, on the agents. It was around this time in the series where I was, like, um, realizing that kind of pivot. Not really a pivot, but they're not just going to add in more super-powered people for the purpose of it. They're going to oh, be right, like, right. you know, these are the other characters, and this is who Johan's going to be with, and we're going to spend time with these people. We're going to learn their names, and they're going to have actual arcs, you know, within the story, which... I think is really awesome for this kind of book. They don't rely on for it all to be about Johan, you know, or whatever. Well, I, I like what you say about they're not going to just add in characters to supernatural abilities because, I mean, that's kind of what, like, other comics do. Yeah. They're like, and then the guys that we're seeing here, they're always just cannon fodder who don't even have, like, names half the time. Right. And so it is, it's refreshing to see yeah. this, you know, because it's like, these guys are your team. You know, you hired them for a reason. Yeah. Let's let's show that. Exactly. That's also what we've been seeing with Jeralco, who we're going to get to in this next story. This next story. Sorry. All right. To be continued next week. Hey. Whoa.